Well, good morning, brothers and sisters, young people, friends. Certainly nice to be here this morning and to look for the, to the Word of God for words of exhortation, which will come this morning from the book of Ecclesiastes, which is a really fascinating book that we're going through in our daily Bible readings, one that puts our lives into perspective, especially as we get to the latter chapters. Uh, in many ways, when, when I listen to Ecclesiastes, it feels like I'm listening to the thoughts of a, an older brother who has experienced a long life and is sharing their experiences, passing along words of advice to the next generation and hoping that their experiences and their struggles will help a younger brother or sister avoid the common pitfalls of life. And we have in this book the reflections of Solomon, who is one of the wisest men that ever lived. And he was learned not only in the wisdom of God, but in the wisdom of this world. And of course, naturally then, it, it places us in a position to judge which of those is of more value in our lives. As we consider our lives, uh, as we are about to partake of this, this bread and wine in remembrance of, of Christ. I think it's neat to think about the two times that Christ refers to Solomon in the New Testament. He's mentioned twice. And he's known for two things in the New Testament. One, for his glory and his splendor and the riches that he had. He's, we're told that Solomon was there in all his glory. And that's in the comparison of Solomon to a lily. And he's known for his wisdom. When Christ refers to the fact that the Queen of Sheba came to listen to the wisdom of Solomon. But it's interesting that in both cases, even though he's known for these things, his wisdom is eclipsed by the wisdom of Christ, and his glory is eclipsed by the glory of a flower. There's things better than the wisdom of Solomon. And remarkably, in the context, if you look at the context of those two occurrences, the lessons of Ecclesiastes are right there in the words of Christ. When he speaks about the, the lilies of the field, the lesson is that we should seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, not the things of the world, but then all these other things will be added unto us. So it puts our life in perspective, is which, what Ecclesiastes does. And the other, with the Queen of Sheba, speaking about the wisdom of Solomon, it's in the context of the resurrection, that we will stand and give an account of our actions at the judgment seat. And again, that's a conclusion of Solomon in the book of Ecclesiastes, that we can live our life and enjoy it to the full, but if we keep in mind the fact that there will be a resurrection, we're going to live a very different life. And so even our master looks to the book of Ecclesiastes and brings out these lessons in our lives. Now, I don't think you can read Ecclesiastes without coming across some apparent conflicts and, and things that appear to be contradictory. Even within the same chapter, there's statements that if you don't understand correctly, can seem to be contradictory. And Solomon, at least at the very end, gets everything right. He says in Ecclesiastes 12, verse 13, the conclusion of the matter. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. And that's our exhortation this morning. But one of the keys to understand Ecclesiastes, I believe, is to understand a phrase that appears... 29 times in Ecclesiastes, and it's the phrase, under the sun. It was there a couple of times in our reading this morning. 
And I think it's a very interesting exercise to look up under the sun in the various occurrences. I want to take you to the first one in Ecclesiastes chapter 1. shows up right alongside a couple of other words that are, are quite common in Ecclesiastes, ones you might have, might have thought of. Ecclesiastes chapter 1, the words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem, identifying the author as Solomon. Vanity of vanities, saith the preacher, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What profit hath a man of all his labor which he taketh under the sun? So under the sun is about 29 times in the book, in 27 verses. You've got vanity lots of times there in verse 2. It's actually used more in Ecclesiastes. It's used about 39 times and refers to something that's empty, something that is unsatisfactory. Um, labor it shows up there in verse 3. It shows up 29 times in Ecclesiastes. It refers to effort that wears you down or worry. So these are some of the things that, that Solomon is referring to. He's meditating upon the labor of our life and how sometimes it seems empty and uh, unsatisfactory. And uh, he begins chapter 2 with a description of all the accomplishments that he has made. Look at verse 4 of chapter 2. I made me great works, I builded me houses, I planted me vineyards, I made me gardens and orchards, I planted trees, in them all kinds of fruits, I made me pools of water to water therewith the wood that bringeth forth trees. And so he goes on. And, and if you were to read that whole list of accomplishments, it might be a list that we would all be proud of, that we would be amazed that we've accomplished so much in our life. In many ways, it, it sounds a lot like Proverbs 31, and the work of the virtuous woman who is constantly involved in, in effort and labor. But there's a different motivation here in chapter 2 of Ecclesiastes. Just circle for yourself sometime the word I and the word me as you go through verses 4 to 9. Solomon's doing all this for himself. And, and what's his motivation? Look at verse 1. He says, I... I will prove thee with mirth, therefore enjoy pleasure. So he's doing it out of a desire to have pleasure, to enjoy mirth, verse 7, to get him possessions, verse 8, that there would be delights in his life, verse 10, whatsoever his eye desired. And, and you can see if this is the motivation of our life, if we're living it for ourselves to enjoy the things of this life, then look at the conclusion of, of, of Solomon as he lives his life under the sun. He says in verse 11, I looked on all the works that my hands had wrought and on all the labor that I had labored to do and behold, it was vanity and vexation of spirit and there was no profit under the sun. It was totally empty, totally unsatisfactory, all these things that Solomon had accomplished. And just contrast that then to the virtuous woman of Proverbs 31 who's busy in all sorts of activities, but it's for her household. It's that her husband might work in the gate of the city, that he might work within the ecclesia. It's a totally different busyness that she has in her life than Solomon experienced in this phase of his life. And just 
maybe stop for a minute and put yourself in that perspective. Sometimes in life we have an opportunity to look back at, at what we've accomplished. And imagine if at the end of our life we look back at our life and we have the same conclusion of Solomon. And if our overriding purpose in life is self and, and the gaining of pleasure and the you know, building up of possessions, then one day we're really going to look back and come to the sobering conclusion that we've wasted our lives. Maybe not our whole lives, but perhaps a portion in our lives, a few months or years that we've wasted looking out for ourselves. Well, if you go to verse 11, just look at that again. He looks upon all the works of his hands. And I, I think there's a marvelous echo here back to, to Genesis. Because God, in Genesis chapter 1, God looks upon the works of his hands, the labor of the six days of creation. And God doesn't look at something that's empty. Instead, he looks upon everything that he had made, and it was very good. Wouldn't that be great if that's what we could do, and look back on the works of our lives and say, look at what we've accomplished. It's been very good. Now, it's hard to compare yourself to God, but there's another example of this in Exodus chapter 39, which is the work of Israel in the wilderness when they are constructing the tabernacle. Exodus chapter 39 and verse 32. Thus was all the work of the tabernacle of the tent of the congregation finished and the children of Israel did according to all that the Lord commanded Moses, so did they. And if you go through verses 33 to, to 41, they've, they've built the tabernacle, all its furnitures, the, the ark of the testimony, the table in verse 36, the candlestick, the altar, the hangings, the curtains. They're working very diligently during this phase of their life on the, on the things of God. And in, in verse 43... Moses, as we all have chance to do, stops, and he looks upon what has been accomplished. And Moses did look upon the work, and behold, they had done it as the Lord had commanded, even so had they done it, and Moses blessed them. So there's nothing empty here, there's nothing unsatisfactory, it's the same amount of effort and energy that's been put into life, and you're able to look back, and there's a blessing that comes from it. Well, why was it a blessing? Because verse 42, they had fulfilled all the commands of the Lord. You might remember they made it according to the pattern that was shown to Moses in the mount. So this was not for their own benefit. It was not according to their own plans and their own drawings. But they were working according to the principles of God and doing it for his honor, for his worship and praise. And so what a sad thing that Solomon, at least during one phase of his life, looks back and says, everything I've accomplished is, is vanity. But that's what will happen if we devote ourselves to the things under the sun. And so I, I set out to decide, well, what does it mean in Ecclesiastes, under the sun? Why does this phrase show up so much? And really suggest sometime if you pull out your computer program or your concordance and just look up all the verses are just read through Ecclesiastes. It doesn't take long. And highlight all the phrases under the sun and try to decide what it, what it means. Well, another time it shows up, we don't have time to look at them all, but in, in chapter 4, 
of Ecclesiastes. Verse 1. Actually told this a few times in Ecclesiastes 2 that Solomon would would stop and consider. So in verse 1, so I returned and considered all the oppressions that are done under the sun. And behold, the tears of such as were oppressed, they had no comforter. And on the side of their oppressors there was power, but they had no comforter. So Solomon pauses and he, he looks at what's happening under the sun and uh, this time he sees that there's oppressions. The works of men are that they don't show kindness one towards another. There's oppression. And I think here under the sun means that this is the works of men. This is what men do of their own accord when they are not influenced by the word of God. Without God, men bring oppression one upon another because of their own selfishness. Look at uh, later on in Ecclesiastes chapter 5 and verse 8, where it's talking about oppression. If thou seest the oppression of the poor and violent perverting of judgment and justice in a province, marvel not at the matter, for he that is higher than the highest regardeth, and there be higher than they. So he says this is what, this is what men do. They're involved in oppression of the poor. They pervert judgment and, and justice. And again, I, I think we see an echo then to, to Genesis. So here's Solomon. He's stopping and considering all the work that is done by men under the sun. And what he sees is oppression and, and perversion of justice. And it's like stopping for a moment and looking at things from the perspective of God. And I think back to Genesis 6 then, where just before the flood, God looks down upon the earth. And what does he see? He sees that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And, and the problem there was that the, the men of God had not kept separate from the daughters of men. There had been a mixing of those from the ecclesia with those of the world. And the philosophies of men um, swallowed up those that were righteous. And so we can see this is the work of, of men. Perhaps that's what it means when we talk about under the sun. Look at uh, chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. So again, Solomon stops in verse 7. I returned and I saw another emptiness or vanity under the sun. This is a, an interesting one. He's looking, I guess, at a specific case that would have appeared before him. He says, there is one alone and there is not a second Yea, he hath neither child nor brother, yet there is no end of all his labor. Neither is his eye satisfied with riches. Neither saith he, for whom do I labor and bereave my soul of good? This is also vanity, yea, it is a sore travail. So Solomon, I guess, looked about him, and he sees a man who has no one else in his life. He's all alone. And yet this man's conclusion is that he should labor so that he can procure riches. Even though he has no one to share them with, no one to leave them with, the wisdom of man is to work as hard as he can to acquire as much as he can in life. I think the, another translation helps here. This is the ESV. I saw another vanity under the sun, one person who has no other, either son or brother, yet there is no end to all his toils, and his eyes are never satisfied with riches so that he never asks, for whom am I toiling and depriving myself of pleasure? This also is vanity and an unhappy 
business. So here under the sun refers to the choices of men. And it's really sad sometimes when we look at the choices that people who don't have God in their life make in their lives. Those that don't have a vision of the coming kingdom of God. Or perhaps ourselves, if we lose sight of that vision, the choices that we make in life. Well, there's one last that we want to look at here under the sun is in in chapter 9. And again, that doesn't take long to do this sometime. Just look up all the references. It's kind of a neat exercise. But in chapter 9, verse 11, again, Solomon stops. I returned and saw under the sun that the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, neither yet bread to the wise, nor yet riches to men of understanding, nor yet favor to men of skill. He says, you know what? Life doesn't seem fair. It's not always those that are the quickest that win the race and the strongest that that win the battle. He says, time and chance happeneth to them all. And Solomon's looking and saying, well, there's so many inequities in life. And, And Solomon, I think, would have known his father's psalms. Sometimes in the psalms, David talks about how the wicked prosper. Or um, he, he marvels at how the wicked continue to succeed, even though the righteous are, are under oppression. But of course, David looks and says, well, that will all be made right at the uh, resurrection. But that's, it's true. Those with exceptional characteristics sometimes bad things happen to them, or they, they die suddenly. There's, there's time and chance to everyone that lives under the sun. But in verse 1, there's the other side of the story, that for the righteous and the wise, their works are in the hands of God. And so there's these two perspectives that keep coming up in the book of Ecclesiastes. One is our perspective without God, which is under the sun, and the other is when we have a, a perspective of what God is is doing in our lives. And for me, I think that's the conclusion that I made, is that under the sun refers to the day-to-day lives that are sometimes tedious of those that have no faith in God. Or maybe more for us, if we lose sight of the future vision of the kingdom of God. Because without God, life would be empty. It would be vanity. You know, it would be a chasing after the wind, as Solomon likes to to say in in Ecclesiastes, full of repetitive days without purpose. I think it's summarized in chapter 9, verse 3. This is Solomon's view of a life lived under the sun without God. This is an evil among all the things that are done under the sun, that there is one event to all. Yea, also the heart of the sons of men is full of evil and madness is in their heart while they live. And after that, they go to the dead. That's the the conclusion of Solomon. But uh, Solomon had a different perspective. And I don't want to leave you with this kind of sad, unhopeful uh, perspective that he gives us in Ecclesiastes because he comes at things from both sides. And he gives us many verses that show us a different perspective because of the things that we have in the truth. And I think we, we both, or all of us, have experienced both of these perspectives. Perhaps we've come from outside the truth and we've seen the vanity of life before we've come to the truth and and we see the joys when we come to the truth. Or perhaps we've grown up in a Christadelphian family and 
as young people sometimes do, we've chosen for a period of time to to leave and, and see the things that the world offers. And probably one of those is true for each one of us here, but I think the more useful exhortation is that in our day-to-day lives, we struggle with these two perspectives, that sometimes we can see things from God's perspective, and other times we're just swallowed up by the, the pressures of life, the pressures of succeeding in this life, the daily influence of the world that wants us to have more of what this world offers, all while we're trying to live for God. So I want to finish the exhortation just looking at a couple of areas where Solomon gives us the two perspectives. And I want us to think about which best applies to our situation and how can that help us get back on track. So just look at Ecclesiastes chapter 1. And we look at some of these apparent contradictions, but they're not contradictions, it just depends on our perspective. And so in Ecclesiastes chapter 1, Solomon's thinking about wisdom and knowledge. And he says, I gave my heart, in verse 17, to know wisdom and to know madness and folly, and I perceive that this also is vexation of spirit, for in much wisdom is much grief, and he that increaseth knowledge increaseth sorrow. So here's his one perspective, that the more we learn, the more it's sad, the more it's difficult, the more grief that we experience in our lives. Well, compare this to another verse in Ecclesiastes chapter 7. So here's the other perspective. Ecclesiastes chapter 7 and verse 11. Wisdom is good. Okay, It was, it was vanity back in chapter 1, but here it's, it's good. It's with an inheritance. You know, it comes with blessings in an age to come. And by it there is profit to them that see the sun. That's interesting. For wisdom is a defense, and money is a defense, but the excellency of knowledge is that wisdom giveth life to them that have it. So back in chapter 1, it was, it was vanity and, and brings grief, and yet here we're told that it gives life, and there's an inheritance that comes with it. It's, it's such a helpful thing. Well, obviously, it depends on, on what wisdom we're reaching for. What is it that we're looking for? Are we trying to... Have the wisdom of this world or the wisdom of the scriptures? And and this is perhaps an exhortation for our young people, warning against not getting caught up too much in college and university. They're important, but we can't let that be a detriment to our life in in the truth. And it's great to see so many of our young people finding that balance, that they're they're constantly here participating in ecclesial activities as they're um, preparing for their, their work in life. It's a warning for us all to be on guard against the philosophies of this world, the wisdom of this world, all the self-help books that might give us wrong perspectives, and, and just the regular in influence of the world, that this can bring us grief, but the wisdom of God can bring life and inheritance. And, and as you can see there, there's a difference in verse 11. This wisdom is to them that see the sun. So they're not just living their life under the sun on the earth and involved in the things of the earth, but they're looking up. They're looking up to spiritual things, and, and that's the difference. And I, I, when I saw that, I just hoped that phrase would show up 29 times in Ecclesiastes, but it's, it's not there more than this phrase, but it certainly shows the contrast to under the sun. Well, what about our, our labor? Look at chapter 2 and verse 11. 
We, we looked at this. This was the summary of all the things that Solomon had accomplished. And when he did all that, he said, I looked on all the works of my hands that I had wrought and the labor that I had labored to do, and it was, it was vanity, a chasing after the wind. Verse 18, Solomon said, I hated all my labor which I had taken under the sun. He looked at it and he despised all. Imagine all the wonderful things that Solomon built and accomplished with the wisdom and riches that God gave him. But he said he hated it. Now the contrast in chapter 9. Look at Ecclesiastes chapter 9 and verse 10. You'd come to the conclusion that why labor at all? And yet he says in, in chapter 9 verse 10, Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with all thy might. It's like the exhortation to work as unto the Lord. It doesn't matter who we're working for, to give our best effort. Well, why? Because there is no device, nor knowledge, nor wisdom in the grave, whither thou goest. Solomon is saying, let's redeem the time. Let's work as hard as we can. And, and so how do we balance those two ideas? Well, what are we laboring on? What are we accomplishing in our lives? If, if we were to fast forward to our dying moments and looking back at our life, we'd probably regret the time that we put into getting promotions at work or succeeding or overtime. But we're not going to regret the, the labor that we've put in with our families, with the young people, with our ecclesia, with our grandchildren in the truth. We're not going to look back and, and see that as something that we hated. God looked and he, he saw everything that he had accomplished and it was very good. And uh, the exhortation is for us to think about that and, and hopefully we can have that same conclusion when we look back at what we've accomplished. One last contrast, Ecclesiastes chapter 8. There's actually quite a few of these. But Ecclesiastes chapter 8 and, and verse 15. And this is one you probably know well and have, have thought about lots in, in, in this statement of, of Solomon in Ecclesiastes 8 verse 15. Then I commended mirth, because a man hath no better thing under the sun than to eat and to drink and to be merry, for that shall abide with him of the labor, the days of his life, which God giveth him under the sun. So the perspective of a man living without hope and under the sun, according to the wisdom of this world, there's no better conclusion than to enjoy each day. Uh, it reminds me of, of a parable of Christ. Just turn over to Luke 12, just for a second here. Luke chapter 12. And verse 16. And I almost wonder if, if Christ wouldn't have been thinking about Ecclesiastes when he, he gives this parable. Ecclesiastes, or sorry, Luke 12, verse 16. Spoke a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do, because I have no room where to bestow my fruits? And he said, This will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. And, and it's that same self-centeredness that you saw back in Ecclesiastes too. It's all about me and I and, and the conclusion is just to be happy and merry in this life with the things that we have. But look at uh, 
what it says in verse 20. Again, the, the conclusion of Ecclesiastes. But God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then who shall these things be which thou hast provided? You're not going to pass them on to anyone. What, what's, they're not going to be for you. So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. So there in, in Luke chapter 12, it's kind of like a mini Ecclesiastes with the same conclusion that we shouldn't be involved in ourselves. But there's one piece of advice from Solomon according to the perspective of those that live under the sun. But the other perspective is what he concludes with. And, and let's use this as the conclusion of our exhortation. And every one of us think of the ways that, that we can do better in these upcoming weeks. In Ecclesiastes chapter 12 and verse 13, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. Fear God and keep his commandments. So when Solomon took into account the existence of God and the coming day of judgment and all the blessings that God has given him, he told us that we should fear God and keep his commandments. Well, Ecclesiastes, I think, makes it very clear that this isn't easy for anyone. It's not going to be something that we, we can do without falling or failing. We're going to struggle. We're going to go through patches. We might even look back at some of the weeks that we've done and, and think, man, I just lived under the sun. I was just living according to the principles of this world. But the exhortation for us is not to continue in that way, but to look to the sun, look up to the sun, look up to the example of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we'll finish in Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. If ye then be risen with Christ, this is verse 1, seek those things which are above. Where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God, set your affections on things above, not on things on the earth. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory.